the book of Mark um, is, is, is the gospel where um, you see so much of what Jesus' Jesus's actions, you see what he does. And in, in our society, words are really cheap. You know, we hear people complain about the evangelical church. Once I sat down with a couple and uh, took them out to Buffalo Wild Wings and um, they're, they're not believers yet. And I said, so what brought you to Missio Day? What, what's, really, what's really in your heart? Why did you come back to church of all places? Why did you come to the church? Well, they started sharing their life story and this and that, the other thing. I said, so why Missio Day Church? Well, because it's not, it's not an evangelical church. And I'm going, oh no, oh no. And so there's this, this misconception of what it means to be evangelical, to be a, a church that shares the gospel, that that is constantly preaching the gospel and hoping that lives are changed, changed by the power of the gospel. And um, so often words are cheap when you come to churches or when you meet Christians. Words are cheap. It's like they say one thing, but the actions never back up what they, what they say. Well, the gospel of Mark is really a powerful thing because there are less red letters, red letter words in the gospel of Mark than compared to the other gospels. So it shows a lot of what Jesus does, and whatever he does say is definitely backed up by his actions. His actions are just absolutely clear. This is what he believes. And so this week I was walking through um, uh, the piece that we're going to be talking about today, and this this piece uh, had so many uh, pictures of the Old Testament for me. It wasn't just this nice little New Testament piece. It's like, ah, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus kind of stuff. It points back to the Old Testament and Jesus' passion. Well, the reason that I gave you this, uh, these little pieces of paper is because this is going to be one of those participatory, dangerous kind of sermons. Okay? Where I need you to consider your participation, real participation, um, not only in listening, which is your part, uh, a huge part of a congregation of, of a church member is listening to what the Word of God says, but also listening carefully to what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart. As things are brought to light, as we walk through Scripture together, what does the Holy Spirit say to you? What is the Holy Spirit convicting you of? Because what this section of Mark chapter 11 is really, there's a huge piece, a theme of repentance and holiness that is going throughout this whole section. And this is where it gets dangerous. I'm going to challenge you to write down those areas that you need to be repenting of, to be turning from, changing. Instead of going this direction, go a 180 in a totally different direction. And I want to challenge you there's pens around you, and if you need a couple more sheets, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit's going to work on you, and you go, um, Paul, you got some extra? I'd really like you to write, or I'd need a couple more sheets. But what we're going to do, uh, because I believe it, it is the, the business of the church to, to repent, and to do it even publicly. Isn't that the scary thing? Why don't you throw up the Martin Luther quote? This is one of my favorite cru- quotes from Martin Luther, and this was at the very top, kind of his preamble to uh, his 95 theses that he, he nailed to the castle door in Wittenberg. He said, 
when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life, from the moment that you get up to the moment that you get to go to sleep, your life is constantly, in light of who God is, going, man, I am falling short. I am falling short. He calls for holiness. I am not holy. He calls for me to be selfless but I am selfish. He calls me not to covet, but I covet. He calls me for this. He calls me for that. He calls me not to gossip. Holy cow, my mouth just blabs. And as we open up Scripture, as I opened up Scripture this week, I was convicted. And it was was extremely uncomfortable because, you know, the times that I repent are the times that I'm caught. And it's more apologizing than repenting. I'm sorry for being caught. Instead of saying, man, I am God before you. I realize what a sinner I am in need of your grace again today. And I'm turning the other way. I'm turning my back again. Dying to myself again. So I'm going to challenge you. Write down what the Spirit is saying that you need to repent of. You don't have to be long. You don't have to be lengthy. And at the end, we're going to collect them. And you can have an option whether or not you want them to be read or not. So if you need to mask, you know, your handwriting and write it in cryptic language, that's cool. And we're going to read them before we do communion. We're going to repent before we receive communion. I won't read any names. I, I won't say, John said, I need to repent of X, Y, and Z, unless you want me to. Maybe it's a, a corporate sin. You're sinning against the church. That's your choice. So that's the activity. To listen carefully to what God is saying through His Word. Listen carefully to what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart. And to respond appropriately. So, now for the sermon. Ready? First, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 11. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 12. I believe it's page 847 in one of those little Bibles. Follow along with me. Um, If you need a Bible, they're along the aisles. Wave people down and they'll pass them on down to you. But follow along with me, because these are the words of God. And you know what? I I want you to think, uh, what kind of Jesus is being shown here in this section of Scripture? That often goes against what, what the world says Jesus is. So listen carefully. Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 12. On the following day, when he came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig in leaf, He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. 
And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by, passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So this is a picture of Jesus. That um, we often have this picture of Jesus as this uh, really nice, uh, tall, slender-looking guy who has these long, flowing robes, and he just kind of skates above the above the ground, and he's just going about blessing children, being gentle and meek. And he's really a really nice guy. But this is a different picture of Jesus. This is a totally different picture. It's a picture of Jesus who, who says, you know what? This tree, I know enough about this tree that it is full of leaves. It is jam-packed full of leaves. In fact, its leaves are probably glossy and, and luxurious-looking leaves but there's absolutely no hope for it in the future. There's no fruit on it. And I'm hungry, I'm coming here to eat, and there's nothing on it. Cursed. And then later, as they head into Jerusalem, Jesus is, is walking up into the court of Gentiles, which is on the south, south corner of the temple. And he's walking into the court of Gentiles, and he is seeing what looks like the stock market compiled with a state fair. It is just people yelling and screaming and making bids for this, making bids for this. And the whole time, the, the temple court, the Jewish, uh, sorry, the, the court of the Gentiles just reeked, reeked of dung. And you'd hear cows and birds and all kinds of animals just filling this, this, this court. And Jesus is walking in going, what is this? What kind of worship is going on in the court of Gentiles? I mean, this, this whole area, this court of Gentiles, was two and a half football lengths long and about two football lengths wide. A huge area that was meant for the, the Gentiles who could not go into the holy place, the place reserved for the, the Jews. And so they reserved a special place for worship and prayer where they could, as Gentiles, worship 
the one and true God. And Jesus is walking into this area and going, what is wrong? What is wrong with this picture? And as I, as I was going through this, my mind went back to um, the book of Second Chronicles. And if you're fast, you can, you can do this. Second Chronicles, it's on uh, page 363. And this is just a beautiful picture. King David was not allowed to build the temple. His hands were bloodied, and he was known as a warrior. And God said, listen, I don't want your type of building me the temple. I'm going to reserve that for your son. And so Solomon, the, the great wise king, was able, was given the privilege of building the temple to God. Solomon's temple. It was supposedly just this absolutely beautiful masterpiece. Just absolutely gorgeous. And it was opening day. The day of dedication. Everything was finished. Everything was in its place. But one thing was missing. God. His presence there. So that the people, when they came to the place called the temple, could worship with all their hearts, with all their minds. And they could worship the one and true God. And so, starting all the way with uh, chapter 6 of Second Chronicles, Solomon just starts blessing the people and retelling how God has been faithful. Remember this. Remember how He's done this. Remember this. Remember that. And the people's minds are going, oh yeah, He parted the sea. He did this. He judged. He did this. Oh my gosh, that's who God is. Oh, what a glorious God. And then, chapter 7. Let's back up. 6 verse 41. And now, arise, O God, Lord God, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. Let your priests, Lord, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. And your saints rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, do not turn away the face of your, away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for your, for David, your servant. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the Hebrew talks about how it was totally obliterated. It, it was gone. It consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God's presence filled the temple. Can you imagine if, if I could stand before you today and say, Oh Lord, arise from your resting place and come here and just fill this place. Remember your promises. And out of nowhere, whoosh, a fire would just come and consume, consume this and then it was just gone. And then just a special sense of God's glory and presence was here. What would take place with you? you would immediately go, little me, tiny me, huge, huge God. And here's, here's the thing. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. 
And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord fill the temple, on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, For He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. And in the Hebrew, it's this repetitive for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. They, they, they couldn't even lift up their eyes. They were on the ground just worshiping. God's presence was there in that place. Fast forward. Jesus is walking through the temple. He comes to the court of Gentiles and it smells of animals. And there's money changers. Changing money because you cannot, every, every uh, Hebrew man had to give a half shekel. And the money of the day had pictures of other gods. So they had to change money because you cannot offer God a coin that had idolatrous figures on it. So they had to change money to give it better money for the temple. And so you got these people making money and they got selling cows and selling doves and selling sheep and selling goats and there's this, this huge uproar and Jesus is walking in and going, I've been here before. I was back there in the day of Solomon's prayer. I was there as the temple was filled with the glory of God. I was there as my worshipers were worshiping me and loving me and adoring me. For He is good and His love endures forever. For He is good. And these people, their hearts were laid bare. And Jesus is going, what is going on? What is going on in my temple? And this is a picture for the church, for us. What is going on? In the church. Jesus is saying, listen, we can no longer do business as normal. You have got to change. Business has got to change for the church. It's no longer about you and this and that and the other thing. It's about me. It's about worshiping me. And when your heart is laid bare, oh, true revival, true change takes place. When you, when, you, when you get a glimpse of God, when you really get a glimpse of God, and I think if you get a full glimpse of Him, you're blown away. But if God just gives you a sliver, you go, who am I? Who am I that you would love me? Me with my my lies, me with my, my lust for more, my lust for flesh, my lust for notoriety, my lust for you fill in the blank. Who, who am I that, is, that you would love me? The man that I am who is nothing but just complacent, lazy, passive, 
no backbone. Who am I that, that cares not for the lost, the brokenhearted, those who cannot care for themselves? Who am I that you would love me to care enough for me that you would send your son to die on a cross? Who am I? And the second that we get a glimpse of who God is, how big God is, is the second when we start repenting. The second that we understand that Jesus has a passion for holiness is the second that we start repenting. You see, God is, God is passionate about His holiness. So I jump to Leviticus. This is what God says. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Listen, you need to be holy. You need to be changed, constantly changed, because I am holy. God is passionate about holiness. And there are no small sins before a great God. There are no small sins. You may say, you know what, I'm, I'm not a pedophile. That's a big sin. And God's going, are you serious? There are no small sins before an awesome and great God like me. I've never robbed a bank. Yeah, but you've probably stolen credit from somebody else by using their ideas, their thoughts, without giving appropriate credit. Well, I've never done... Yeah, but you know what? There are no small sins before a holy God. God wants nothing but holiness to enter into His presence. Nothing but holiness. Nothing but holiness to enter into His presence. And that kind of holiness, when we understand who God is, will send us into worship. When you recognize your sinfulness, the depths of your sinfulness, I don't care if you've been to church all your life, if you've grown up and been baptized in the church and you've been dedicated in the church all your life, you've, you've grown up in the church, you've been in the youth group, you've been in the band, you've been on mission trips, you give faithfully 10%, heck, you might even give 20, maybe 11%. You know what? I, God says, you know what? That doesn't matter. That's not what I'm looking for. I am looking for hearts that desire to be with me, that worship me with all of their lives, not just their Sunday mornings, not just with their committee times, but with their entire, entire life. That's what God wants. And it requires us to be, to be totally honest. Because the second that we are totally honest with ourselves and with God is the second that revival takes place in the church, in your family, in our community. When we can repent to other people and say, listen, I have dropped the ball and I've sinned against you. I've spoken poorly about you. I have maligned your name. Would you forgive me? Because you know what? 
not only does it dishonor you, it dishonors your Creator. And I need to repent and apologize and turn from doing that and follow more closely to Jesus. Archbishop William Temple talks about what worship is. And this is what he says. Worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To open the heart to the love of God. To devote the will to the purpose of God. And that is not just a Sunday morning definition. That's a week-long, lifelong process to constantly be quickened, in other words, to be made alive of the holiness of God wherever you are. To also go, oh, I get it. I, I get who you are. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To be in the Word and say, okay, what are my false notions of who God is? What are my ideas that I like from culture? And I'm going to put them on God. And say, and God's going, are you serious? You're taking culture to define me? I have given you my Word. Feed your mind on the truth of who I am. Feed your mind. That is worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Act of worship. To love Him with your mind. I'm wondering how many of us this morning have even opened our Bible until you've been prompted. Or this week have even opened the Scriptures and your heart has been laid bare by what the words have to say. He goes on to say, to purge imagination by the, the beauty of God. Oh, what a Savior. The beauty of God. This is worship. This is worship. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am going to, I'm going to throw over tables. I'm going to clear it. And I love how it says he doesn't allow the people to walk through the temple with all their stuff. He's going, get out. Nearest exit, get out. Take your cows with you. Take your goats with you. Get out of here. This is not worship. Come to me with clean hands. That's why I'm glad that the worship team, give us clean hands. Give us what? Pure hearts. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. And then he comes back and as he leaves the temple, as, after it's been cleared of all the, the junk, he point, Peter goes, man, look at, the, look, at, look at that. Look at that tree that you curse that is withered to its root. It is dead. And Jesus said, you know what? You need to have faith in Me. Not in systems. 
Not in anything else. You need to have faith in Me. And let me tell you what will happen when you have faith in Me. And this is not one of those charismaniac kind of things of name it, claim it, and you'll automatically get it. When your will is lined up, throw it back up one more time, to devote the will to the purpose of God, when your will is just so lined up with God, your prayer life is so lined up with God, all of a sudden you see your prayers being answered. Could you imagine your mind is so lined up because you are worshiping God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you're loving your neighbors as yourself. You're so lined up. Jesus says, listen, have faith in me. And what's going to happen? You're going to see mountains be moved. Things that you thought used to be walls torn down. You got an area in your life that's held captive. God says, I can break those. Break those chains. Whatever it is, I am God. The very God that came and filled the temple the first time so that people were thrown on their faces before me and worshiping. So we got sheets. Pens around you. And, and maybe some of you, because you got a spouse nearby, somebody that really thinks a lot about you, and you might write some stuff down that's maybe not so flattering about yourself. Maybe you need to move out, or can I, I give you permission to do one of these? Give me a little space here. I'm going to do some repenting, I'm going to do some confessing. And I want to encourage you. Write down. You know what? God knows already. He knows absolutely, absolutely everything. And nothing is a shock to Him. Nothing is a shock to Him. Men, nothing is a shock to Him. He knows your minds. He knows the private. Nothing is a shock. Women. Nothing is a shock before God. His omniscience. His all-knowingness. Knows it all. But the entire life of a believer is to be that of repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. The turning around and going another direction. So I want to encourage you. And John, this is going to be where the song. I want I want to give you a few minutes, and I want you to write. What is it that you sense God is saying? This is an area. And if you do not want me to read it, that's cool. Put DNR. Do not read. And then after after a while, we're going to take up a collection of repentance. And before we go to communion, 
you got to hear the people of God repent. Let's pray before we do this. God, just like the song, may we be a, a generation, a, a people who seek your face. We desire nothing but true worship of a great king. So God, hear these songs of uh, repentance to you. These are our heart cries to you. So God, be pleased with our offering. God, may that be that we cast down our eyes. And give us to your heart. Let us not lift our souls Complacency, arrogance, lack of desire to grow, bitterness over passing current circumstances, fear of the unknown, not trusting God to show me the way. Being hot, not repentant, going through the motions of worship, lack of being in the, the Word, not praying and praising God, relying on my own strength, lust, idolatry, laziness, serving God, fornication, not busy, loving others as God demands, selfishness. Desire to give in to addictions, cynicism about others' motives, cynicisms about the church, blaming others when I don't like the direction of things, putting myself first, not trusting, not trusting God, not trusting people with my heart and my life, falling into another self during the week, having a a church self and an outside self wearing a mask. Look, not to give to them, placing my judgment on others, quick to anger on others, not to doubt. I need to stop trying to my life. I need and desire to give up everything to conform my heart, mind, and soul to His will. Envy, anger, not spending enough time in the Word, being judgmental, swearing bad words to God. not complain about things in life that aren't going the way I want. My own agenda. My unfaithfulness to God. Lacking trust that God will provide everything I need exactly when I need it for me and my family. Laziness being judgmental of friends, families, and church. Lust of flesh, no courage to lead, no commitment to the Word, idleness, lacking trust in God's faithfulness, selfishness, financial irresponsibility, 
pride, anger, adulterous thinking, greed, my selfish heart, anger that blinds me, lack of patience, not enough time spent with God in prayer and the Word, judging others, unwholesome talk, putting others before you. God, I pray forgiveness for these things. I pray that you would also help me in not doing these things in the future. There's a ton more. God is not shocked. But here's the gospel and the story. The good news. That Jesus Christ came for these things. That Jesus Christ came for you. For me. For us. We're hopeless on our own. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we now have access. Because of His perfect work, for our far from perfect lives, we now have hope. We now have security. We now have peace with the Father. And here's the fun thing. We get to celebrate it. We get to celebrate the work of Jesus Christ. Remembering that while we were yet sinners, which some of us, I think, still are, Christ died for us. So this morning we we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, His perfect life, the bread, and the blood the blood that covers over a multitude of sins so that we can now stand before God justified. Just as if we had never sinned. So would those who are serving communion come on up. On the night that Christ was betrayed, He took the bread and and as He broke it, He said, this my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, He took the cup of blessing and poured it out and said, this is a a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time you drink of this cup, remember the blood poured out for you because without my blood, you're hopeless. Without me shedding my blood, you're hopeless. This meal is open to any who believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and have submitted their lives and continue to submit their lives to His work. And for those who are 
have confessed their faith in Jesus Christ. This meal is open to you. We'll celebrate this by means of intention. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. We also celebrate benevolence. We receive benevolence during this time for those in our midst who are financially struggling and need help. It's our way of saying thank you back to, back to Christ. So come, for all things are ready.